fear is really signaling something. It's mm-hmm. telling you, hey, there's either danger or there's, there's something in your life that needs to change or something. Welcome to The Pursuit. I'm your host, Ben Spangle. I'm excited to have you here today at our show. We're all about helping you in the pursuit of your best body, mind, spirit, and life. Thanks for being here. Hey, before we get started on today's show, I want to share with you something that you may not be familiar with, and that's the Mindset Mastery Movement. Not that long ago, I started the Mindset Mastery Movement, and what it is is it's a group coaching program that brings like-minded individuals, primarily entrepreneurs, professionals, executives together to really go into a deeper dive on the concepts that help you create your ideal life. And for many of you listening, you might be working on your business. How do I grow that? How do I grow my income to new levels, my financial life, my wealth? It could be working on your body and your health as I am right now too. It could be relationships. Ultimately, what I learned a long time ago was that anything and everything you've ever wanted is available to you and it comes to you and through you by understanding some natural laws and universal laws and how to work with your mind and the universe around you. So we do a deep dive on that. We do Q&A once a month, group coaching. We do a live training for 90 minutes. And right now the doors are closed for it, but I wanna give you an opportunity to get on the wait list to be the very first to know when we open the doors for new members. So if you like the sounds of that, go to www.benspangle.com forward slash MMM and get yourself on the wait list, or you can click the link below in the show notes. I've got my friend Adam Hill with me today, and I've gotten to know him recently. And I have to tell you, today's conversation is going to be a special one for you today. You're going to love it. Adam is, just to give you a bit of context, uh, he's an international keynote speaker. He's a best-selling author. His book, Shifting Gears from Anxiety and Addiction to um, a world champion or world championship triathlete is just incredible. And, uh, man, yeah, I know you're running a big business. You got a big company you're running too. You've got your own podcast you're doing and, and you're really, really helping people as, as the name of your show is, but flow over fear, but helping overcome a lot of that so they can become who they want to be. And I, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. I'm excited, Ben. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, yeah, it was great to have you on my show previously, and and we chatted a little there. And so, yeah, I'm, I've been grateful to get to know you recently. Thank you, man. I feel the exact same way. I, I'd like to jump in because, you know, as your book title says, from anxiety and addiction, and I know that, you know, this is a subject that, you know, a lot of people don't talk about. Right. Um, and uh, But I also know it's, it's something that... You, millions, probably billions of people are struggling with in some way, shape or form, whether that it is from the anxiety standpoint, whether it is some form of addiction. So why don't we jump in? Maybe, maybe tell us a bit of your, if you don't mind, maybe share a bit of your turning point through some of that, if you will. And then I want to get into some things that have helped you through that. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you're absolutely right. When you, when you say the big B word, billions of people, mm-hmm. I believe struggle with anxiety or, or, or fear in, in some way on a daily basis. I mean, pre-COVID uh, and all of that, you know, mess of, of what messed with everybody's mental health, mm-hmm. you know, we had uh, 20% of the United States population reported experiencing anxiety. Pre-COVID. And uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah. like you think about how that's been affected since then, For uh, sure. you can really imagine it's gotten, it's gotten a lot bigger. Um, For sure. And 
Yeah. So for me, uh, growing up, uh, I grew up as somewhat of a worrier, you know, as, as a child, I was always worrying about stuff, but I didn't think anything of it because we didn't, it wasn't part of the conversation. And back in the eighties and nineties, mm-hmm. we were more inclined to talk about dare and keeping kids off drugs than mental mm-hmm. health. Sure. And, uh, so we didn't talk about mental health and occasionally you would hear about kids in high school who might've gone to, uh, you know, gone away for a while, like for, for, uh, uh, because they went a little crazy or something like that. And those were kind of the outliers, but, mm-hmm. but we never talked about it. And so the worry that I had was just internalized and, you know, people who are adults or teachers would always just say, yeah, don't, don't be such a worry wart and things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that growing up, it did affect my ability to form relationships. It it affect my ability to form friends. I was <laughs> introverted and I was afraid to talk to girls, you know, and ask mm-hmm. them out because of the fear of rejection and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And it was really when I went to college that it started to escalate quite a bit. I mm-hmm. had my first experiences with alcohol, as many college kids do. For sure, yeah. I've, and that first experience with alcohol that I had mm-hmm. was probably that, that experience that showed me that I had a problem with anxiety because it mm-hmm. immediately took it away. And I realized at that moment what life was like without anxiety. And I was like, Oh my gosh, hmm. everything's more beautiful. Things are funnier. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I can talk to people. This is amazing. And, and so that kind of led me down the path of, of using alcohol to kind of lubricate my social, uh, mm-hmm. you know, my social life. Mm-hmm. And so in that process, gradually the alcohol abuse became worse mm-hmm. and my anxiety during times of sobriety got worse mm-hmm. to the point where, a few years later, I started suffering severe panic attacks that I really? didn't didn't know where they came from. I didn't know what they were. And again, because we didn't really talk about mental health, mm-hmm. I thought I was crazy. I thought I was alone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would just find these random things would just attach themselves to my brain that mm-hmm. I had to be super afraid of. I would panic to the extent where I couldn't breathe, I'd fall really? on the floor crying and, and all this kind of stuff in the midst of of my room, I missed classes and I, and, and I, and I was just struggling more and alcohol continued to be that, that crutch that would wow. lift my fears away. Wow. And ultimately alcohol became more problematic. Uh, yes. so I began experiencing more problems. It was less fun. Yeah. And then over about a decade of, of alcohol abuse, um, I, it finally came to a head when I was about, uh, when I was 32 years old and, okay. um, I, started breaking the last rule that I said that I would never break, which was drinking and driving. Okay. And I, um, and I, uh, got behind the wheel while I was in a blackout. So, yeah. which means I don't even remember getting behind the wheel. Yeah. I got into a DUI accident and, yeah. um, fortunately nobody was hurt or injured, but yeah. I was inches away from, you know, not being a free man anymore, you know? Wow. Um, and that was the point in my life sitting in the jail cell that really, shifted my perspective from I'm, you know, just trying to fight against this fear and battle it and, and, and suppress it down and, 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 you know, try and manage this anxiety by brute force and, and, and alcohol mm-hmm. to, I either need help or I'm no good to anybody and I don't have a place on this planet. So that's what led me into recovering and mm-hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous for me, which was what mm-hmm. worked for me. Mm-hmm. And that started my journey of healing. And mm. so I'll kind of pause there and and, yeah. and see if there's any direction we can go. So that was 32. Was 32. Yes. 32. Okay. Wow. Uh, just as you bring that up, um, 
I uh, I was reading what was it? Uh, some some of David Hawkins' work. You ever read David Hawkins' work? No, I haven't. He's like he passed away probably a decade ago, but uh, he was a great spiritual teacher. And anyways, he was good friends with the founder of AA. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious because I, as I read the book, I understood that a big component of Alcoholics Anonymous is uh, surrendering to a higher power in some way, shape or form. Were you would you have considered yourself spiritual, religious at that point prior to that? Did, did it have an impact in your life just out of curiosity? Yeah, I, I, I was. In fact, when I was in, j- in the jail cell, I was, I was having a lot of conversations with God. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think there's a difference between being faithful person, someone who has a faith in a higher power and one who practices a spiritual practice. Mm. And I would by no means practice it, practice any kind of spiritual practice before that. Mm. But I had a faith in a God in a higher power that there was mm. someone that was looking out for us. And, mm. and, and it just wasn't reconciled with my behavior, my, my attitude towards it, because I didn't, I just had, didn't have the willingness until that point where I was in the, in, in jail. Mm-hmm. And then, Going through Alcoholics Anonymous, which, um, yeah, Bill Wilson, you know, was the founder, kind of founded it on the spiritual principles of finding a higher power mm-hmm. and 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 that higher power would would bring you to sanity. And a lot of people, when they come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, are turned off by that idea sure. because they're at their most broken, you know, right. and and they don't want to believe that a God could let something like that happen. Mm. But, you know, I, I think one of the things for me in those early days of recoveries that I was kind of reconciling was God's will for us and my will that I was practicing and and what I was, what I was doing and what I was trying to force in my life that wasn't working instead of that surrender, that letting go, which I feel like means not fighting the fear anymore, but really just letting go, standing up and facing the fear and saying, I see you, Mm. you're there. The anxiety, Mm. I live with you. Mm. And let's, you know, while you're un- while you're wildly uncomfortable, let's let's understand that we're going to live together and yeah. let's build a relationship because I want to understand what you're telling me hmm. and I want to understand and I want you to understand where, you know, how I feel like I need to experience this life, how God is trying to trying to lead it for me. So that's hmm. kind of the nature of how I looked at the healing process was standing up and facing fear, which is that hmm. first evolution of, of that relationship with fear. Hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you think about addiction in any way, shape or form, I mean, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, whether it's Netflix, you know, it, I mean, today, I think just even something as simple as TikTok or Instagram could be a, oh, yeah. you know, you're feeling you've got some kind of negative emotion that you don't like a feeling of anxiety, a feeling of fear, a feeling of, you know, any kind of low level emotion. And what you're talking about to face that. It takes a lot of courage because it doesn't feel good. You right. know, it hurts, but it's so much easier for us to just bury myself in my phone. You know, mm-hmm. it's so much easier to crush the bag of chips to, you know, have a few beers to do whatever. And uh, as your story well, well describes, I mean, hey, well, as long as I was, you know, you probably having a, a few drinks here, that, that feeling's gone, but then got worse and got worse and got yeah. worse. So I, I have my own kind of views on why I think that does happen, but maybe could you describe a little bit of if we're not facing this stuff, if we're not addressing, if we're not beginning the healing, why do things typically get worse? 
Yeah, because I, I, well, I think that in fighting fear, which is kind of how I would define that aspect of using whatever addictions it is, it is to, to suppress it. Mm-hmm. And for me, my weapon of choice was alcohol. I mean, that mm-hmm. weapon of choice, as you said, could be anything. It could be that bag of potato chips. It could be the mm-hmm. cell phone mm-hmm. um, or, you know, any, any kind of addiction, pornography or what, whatever it may sure. be for people. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, it, it's really a way to put a this veil over that fear and just push it down and say, yep, yeah, it's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. I know that it's not there anymore because this other thing here is giving me a dopamine hit or some other mm-hmm. hit that I need mm-hmm. to tell me that everything is okay. It's like a brief warm hug that uh, stabs you in the back as you continue <laughs> to progress through it. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, but I think it's that suppression of fear that makes it worse because fear mm-hmm. and anxiety or, or, mm-hmm. or those kinds of things, in for most people, and I won't say all people, because there's mm-hmm. there's degrees of, of of these these issues, and 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 I think a lot of them require uh, that help, that healing. But that that fear is really signaling something. It's mm-hmm. telling you, hey, there's either danger, mm-hmm. or there's there's something in your life that needs to change, or something that you need to you need to address. But this is why you're feeling that anxiety, mm-hmm. and standing up and actually saying, okay, so you're telling me there's this feeling and this it's wildly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Let me lean into it mm-hmm. and find out what it's telling me. And, and I, and you have to do that through healing. You have to lean into the discomfort mm-hmm. uh, because that uh, otherwise, if you're suppressing it, it's just going to grow and expand and say, Nope, I'm still here. I'm mm-hmm. still, you know, I'm still going to be a part of your world. Mm-hmm. So that has to happen. And I think great ways to do that, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it started with Alcoholics Anonymous, but it also include included therapy mm-hmm. with another human being that was, you know, a professional therapist that could talk with me. Mm-hmm. Still seeing the same therapist that I've seen for almost 15 years now, mm-hmm. and um, and or it could be some other community, but mm-hmm. it requires that support that you need to to stand up and heal for it from mm-hmm. it. Otherwise, it will continue to dominate your life. Yeah. And it, it seems like to me, I'm analyzing my own life and my own emotional struggles at times. And it seems like if we're feeling that fear, we're feeling that anxiety, uh, which, you know, as you said, 20% of people pre pandemic, but those are just the people that said they were, you know, yeah. I mean, that's not <laughs> right. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> I mean, it's probably, I think it's freaking everybody at some, you know, at different times in our life. And some sure. people, of course, it's way more intense um, than others, but but when I have that tendency to just try and hide it in a way or, you know, maybe even just change what I'm doing in a way to rather than embracing it. Uh, matter of fact, a book that uh, that really helped me. Uh, I don't know if you ever read um, what's up here. The Everyday Hero Manifesto by Robin mm. Sharma. You ever you read it? No, but I, I'm, I'm expanding my my library now. So cool. Cool. <laughs> you, you'll love it. He's great. But but it, it's it's all small chapters. But there's one chapter. So he's, you know, big time coach, coaches, billionaires, top people in the world. He said, everybody that comes on, they have to have, um, they have to work with a therapist. Mm-hmm. Like part of the coaching agreement is, is that you're also going to work with a therapist. And anyways, he talked about the strategy where you would, uh, uh, rather than when this negative emotion comes up, you know, you're thinking about something or just, it just shows up mm-hmm. rather than try and run away from it rather than that, but to actually sit with it, to face it, as you say. And to feel it and use a similar approach, like, what is it trying to tell me? What, what are you trying to tell me? And that, man, that takes courage. That yeah. takes, 
you know, that's, it's not necessarily fun when you're doing that, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so, it's so true. It's definitely not fun, but it is such an important part of it because mm-hmm. a, I mean, I, I, and I believe you, you mentioned the, the point of embracing fear mm-hmm. and part of my philosophy on how we build our relationship with fear is that it's an evolution that it starts with, you know, you're fighting fear, you're in the midst of your addictions, your traumas, whatever they may be, mm-hmm. and you're doing everything you can to suppress it down, push it down, you mm-hmm. know, uh, trying to show that it's not there, whatever. And then you face it, which is that healing part. Mm-hmm. And it's there in, in that phase. I, I believe that, you know, part of that healing is standing up, facing it, knowing it, and then naming it. You know, you mm-hmm. name the fears that you have. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I, I recognize that, you know, I mean, my sponsor in, in Alcoholics Anonymous literally put down a piece of paper in front of me that had the big words fears on it. Mm-hmm. And this was part of the fourth step inventory mm-hmm. where I had to write out all of my fears, you know, big mm-hmm. or small, and, mm-hmm. and just kind of kind of talk about them. And so I wrote them all out. I named all of them. And I went through that process, that really uncomfortable process, mm-hmm. you know, from the fear of spiders to the fear of mm-hmm. nuclear annihilation to all of this you know, <laughs> yeah. stuff in between. And, yeah. and I noticed that, you know, yes, a lot of the fears were irrational. Okay. So right. I mean like fear of nuclear annihilation, that's pretty sure. much all of us. We that, that's, or fear of spiders. It's like, okay, well that's just a phobia of, of spiders. But yeah. most of those 200 fears that I named, wow, they had nothing to do necessarily with danger. Right. They had, right. but if I looked at them, they really represented three specific types of fears, which was uh-huh. my fear, my uncertainty. So uncertainty yeah. about the future, which is where okay. anxiety lives. Okay. Uh, Overwhelmed. So, sorry. Say oh yeah. Again. Go ahead. Anx- yeah. Anx- so, so it would, so that first one that I would feel was, was uncertainty. So uncertainty, that's one okay. way fear would show up in my life. It's like, okay, I'm afraid of what I don't know, what's going to happen in the future. Or I have this yeah. dream or desire, but I don't know what it looks like, or I don't know right. how to get there. Right. Or, and then the second one was overwhelmed. Like just right. life was piling on top of me and putting too right. much on me. And that's where yeah. panic attacks would happen for me. Um, okay. And then the third way it showed up was self-doubt. Like I okay. would just look at, you know, I had a desire and I just didn't believe in myself enough to want to mm-hmm. pursue it. And those mm-hmm. are really three of the ways out of all of those 200 that if I categorized them under those three, I could typically categorize them into those three things. When it, I look more, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. And you're saying, I just really want to hammer this home. You're saying the uncertainty, the unknown of the future that is where anxiety lives. So you've got um, one level of fear, anxiety, because I don't know, you know, yeah. there's the uncertainty part two, you've got overwhelmed so many things that are on my plate, so many things to do. I don't even know where to go. don't even know what to do. don't even know what to start. And then the third one, one more time, the third one. Yeah. The third one was self-doubt. So self-doubt. I felt like I just doubted right. myself and it made me feel terrible or it made me feel yeah. shame. And, and for yeah. me, shame was an emotion that I constantly tried to run from. That was the emotion hmm. I didn't want to feel. Hmm. And you know, so, so self-doubt was, uh, was a, was a big one. And, and yeah, so I categorized these all into, uh, specific, you know, things and, and the next step, which is, you know, talking about the embracing fear part that would take mm-hmm. years for me to kind of reconcile. Okay. Well, that makes sense. But I didn't realize it at the time as I named these because naming them was simply the act of healing of, of saying, all right, I'm, I see you. I'm going to build a relationship with it. And, and did we're you notice work a these. shift when you started that? Did you, could you feel different as you began to name them or was it progressive? Yeah, I would say that it was an immediate shift for me. You really? Know, just the fact of working with another human being on this 
naming those fears and saying, this is what I'm feeling. This is what makes me afraid, you know, and having that level of vulnerability and having someone else there, whether it be a therapist or a sponsor or what have you that says, yeah, that's, I, I, you know, I validate you on, Mm -hmm. on your feeling of that. I mean, it was an immediate like lifting of that. And that's where I think from the, from the standpoint of, of healing through recovery about from Alcoholics Anonymous and things like that, they talk about the spiritual awakening or the, 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 uh, uh, you know, the, the desire to drink is lifted from you. And that's where it was kind of lifted. And I felt that immediately. And it was, it was, Hmm. that was the spiritual experience was just saying, okay, wow, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm human. I'm allowed to feel these things. It's Mm -hmm. okay that I feel these things. Mm -hmm. It's going to be uncomfortable, but you know what is, this is part of that human experience. And part of that human experience is a spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. And that spiritual experience comes from connection with other people within, Mm -hmm. you know, those kind of communities, whether it be Alcoholics Anonymous or, you know, um, uh, Narcotics Anonymous or, or, or a, a mastermind community that you might be part of to, to lift you up. But it's in those trusted communities that those kind of things happen. That's why, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to get too spiritual necessarily, but mm-hmm. that's why I said where the two or more of us are gathered that, mm. you know, there he is in the presence. Mm. So that's beautiful, man. So would you say, uh, you know, even whether someone feels they're, you know, they may not be struggling with addiction per se, but anxiety is overwhelms a part of their life, self-doubt, which again, who on the planet doesn't deal with these at different times, right? That exercise of just even listing all your fears, do you believe that can help in, in any of those? Is it more specific to anxiety? Yeah, I, I think, I think it is. I think it can help with, with any of those things. Mm-hmm. If you name it first, Hmm. And, um, and, and that's an important activity just because our, especially when we experience anxiety or fear, mm-hmm. our brains are really disorganized in how we experience it mm-hmm. because we're going to feel that overwhelm and we're going to want to react. We're going to say, oh my gosh, you know, this is going wrong in my life. Everything is going wrong in my life. Everything's blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's just this, this, uh, this uh, disorganized, uh, mess of, of things mm-hmm. going through your mind. Mm-hmm. So by writing it down and just saying, yeah. I'm afraid of this, or right. this is what I'm feeling, and all of that. Yeah. It organizes it, and then yeah. you get to see it, and you could, and you could say, okay, I'm not acknowledging that. It's okay that I feel this. It's not, it's not going to kill me. This is just a feeling, and it's yeah. just a signal for something. Yeah. And the best, the better part about it is, I just, don't, I want to make sure this point is driven home that doing it with another trusted person, whether it be a th- therapist or, or or somebody that can validate it, that can talk you through it is is probably one of the most valuable things that you can do with that that piece of information that's amazing man yeah it's so good i think i'm a big fan of journaling um Mm -hmm. you know have been for years and the power of especially when we're just we're kind of feeling we're feeling a little messed up in there it's like you say it's overwhelming or i've got a million things and i'm you know that that tightness that comes in the chest of not knowing what to do next or whatever but to actually take the concerns to take the worries or to take all the things you think you have to do out of your head onto paper or as, or you're, as you're saying to name it, to name the, um, you know, the self doubt, the doubt of whether I can actually do this thing, but to remove it from our head. Mm-hmm. Cause it's so easy to just get stuck in there, isn't it? Oh just yeah. <laughs> and you know, you can spend hours, days, weeks, months just living, you know, way too much in your head. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, obviously, uh, our, our mind's great for a lot of things, but man, it can, it can be a trap at times. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it really can. And, and it doesn't go away. I don't want to give the Im- impression that the feelings, the insecurities, the anxieties and all that goes away when yeah. you list these things out, it's it, right. You know, that it's just, Oh, it's all gone. And you, I'm the most courageous person in the world. Let's go skydiving. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. uh, it's, I mean, yeah. I still experience it on a yeah. daily basis. Right. I wake up with it right. and I, but I now have the tools to kind of work with it. You know, I woke yeah. up, I have a morning routine yeah. and, and I can, I can experience it in a different way now where yes, it's still uncomfortable to experience mm-hmm. fear, to experience anxiety, mm-hmm. but I can look at that as an opportunity. Uh, like I can look at those, those experiences of uncertainty, overwhelm mm-hmm. or self-doubt as mm-hmm. opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we get into that next evolution, which goes into embracing it. Because we can look at that fear and say, okay, what are you telling me? What are you signaling to me? Because if you're not signaling danger, mm-hmm. if there's not a bear directly in front of me and I'm not immediately yes. in danger, yeah, I have an opportunity to grow because this is a signal that I'm just pushing up against the edge of my comfort zone. And if mm-hmm. that's the case, mm-hmm. there's something beyond that that maybe can help me grow. So right. now we're looking at it as an opportunity. And, and, and that's where that discomfort that we feel if we can mm-hmm. breathe through it, work through it, we can find out where it wants to take us. It's good, man. It's, uh, you know, sometimes I think too, if we've been living this way for a while, well, I don't think this, I know this, but we just become conditioned, conditioned to the mind of fear, conditioned to the mind of anxiety. I had a, um, yesterday, I think it was two days ago, maybe I was coming home from the gym and, uh, I had a, uh, a client of one of my agents call me that, um, you know, I just know he's a bit of a handful, this guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I saw the call coming in. I didn't take it. I was driving and then something else happened. I started thinking about, you know, something I had to do later that day that I really, you know, wasn't excited about doing. And Adam, I could just feel it. It's tensing up. I'm starting to go into, you know, there's kind of like fear of it. I don't know. I wouldn't call it full on anxiety of it, but definitely a fear of it. And I caught myself and this is, I have to share, this has not been a super normal practice of me. So what you're sharing is so timely, but I, I had uh, caught myself where I thought, okay, hold on a minute. What is it that I'm resisting here? What is it that I'm actually feeling? Why am I feeling this way? Is there any you know real problem here? Mm-hmm. And, and I realized now it's just a reaction. You know, it was a reaction to this moment and whatever. I don't even know why the guy's calling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I I had this other meeting that the the feeling was I don't want to do this and I just asked, okay, well I I don't want to why don't I want to do that? What is it that I'm I had you know this whole story about it and uh began to think about it in a different way. So I for everybody listening and watching, I'm just saying, you know, I again, I'd love to say I do this on the daily. Uh but I just had this experience. It was either yesterday or 2 days ago. So it's so timely. We're talking yeah. about this. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And when that happens, I mean, I, you find that your brain just like starts making up those stories. I love like that, that you experience that where you're just getting a phone call. You don't know what it's about necessarily, <laughs> but you're already making up the story in your mind. For sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it totally. And, and, and that's just one of those ways where like separating your brain, like what mm. your brain is telling you from the actual mm. feeling, mm. Um, you know, that's mm. an important aspect because our brains will lie to us about everything or they'll sure. exaggerate. And sure. that's where our interpretation of the anxieties come from. So right. yeah. this is where, you know, yeah. one of the tools to kind of deal with that is curiosity. I mean, mm. like exactly what you did there, 
I, I think is great because you you asked a question about it. Like, and one of the best questions there there is for that is like the is that true question that mm-hmm. you know they, I've heard that on many many podcasts like you mm-hmm. know that that listen to, but it's really powerful. Is just looking at at what your brain is telling you and just kind of the the new weapon for it is is that true again mm-hmm. and and like really kind of question it, um, mm-hmm. get curious about it. And that yes. takes us away from attaching the emotion to what our brain is saying. Mm-hmm. And then we can just kind of start to learn a little bit more and, and respond better than reacting in the moment. Yeah, that is that true question is a powerful one. Yeah. You know, it's so powerful. I want to stay on the same, but switch gears a little bit. Um, you guys, uh, you're CEO of a, a large company. I mean, you guys have built a, a, a massive multi, multi-generational family. You guys are, I, I believe, it's, I think it's over nine figures now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we we're, just reached we're, nine figures last year. Yep. Congrats, man. I mean, that's, that's massive. That's so how does, you know, there's your day to day life, which we're really talking about could be applied in any way, shape or form. How do you run in that big of an organization? How do you bring some of this into your leadership? How do you bring some of this into, yeah, I guess as, as running a big a company as you are? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it, it took a lot of, education and re-education on, on my side. And I'm still learning a lot because, you know, there's, there's not a lot of companies that have that, that are fourth generation businesses. You know, there, there's not a cohort of, of companies you can just kind of tap into and say, Hey, these are some of the issues. So, yeah. so there's a lot of working through a lot of those on, the, on their own, but the way I'm looking at organizations now is the same way I kind of look at our, our, our existence is, they kind of behave in the same way. There's, there's, there's fears that exist in organizations and how mm-hmm. we, how we manage those, those, those mm-hmm. fears. So a lot of the ways is, is, is really, they really overlap as far as how we deal with our internal fears. Like, mm-hmm. how do we, how do we do that? Well, we communicate, we name the things that are, that are mm-hmm. problematic. We mm-hmm. try to operate with, with honesty and we try to remove our, what our brains are telling us, you know, from, from the emotion from what the best course of action for the business is. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's never perfect. And I mean, there's still a lot of conflict that happens, but it's, it's natural. Mm-hmm. And for us, you know, I, I recognized, you know, as kind of coming into this, that, you know, we need help. And, and a lot of, as, as we do with, uh, with our, you know, in our, in our personal lives, one of the keys to continuing to grow is to continue to transform and, and reshape how we operate. We have to change with the world that we live in. We have to, we have to transform if we want to grow. We have to let go of the things that don't work for us and, mm. and lean into the things that do. That's tough and sometimes. It is, yeah, mm. especially within an organization that is for sure 100 years old, stuck yeah. in their ways. Yeah. But you know, um, the one one thing that really helped with us over the last couple of years was implementing uh, EOS, which is the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And okay. um, Gino Wickman wrote the book Traction. If you've ever heard of that. And, um, and that is, was kind of the, the, uh, uh, the, the way that, uh, EOS started tens of thousands of companies are now running on, on that operating system. And it really helps us to stay more disciplined and create a system, an operating system around our business. And that's helped us to kind of grow to the next level. So that's amazing. That's amazing. What, What are your best strategies on, um, you know, you're juggling a lot, dude. Yeah, you got uh, you got a lot on your plate, and I know uh, I know many people watching and listening feel maybe the same. They may not be running the same size business, but they've got lots on their plate too. They, you know, so tell me a bit about 
how do you balance is not the right word because I don't believe there's a true balance in life, but how do you bring, how do you bring your best to all these different facets of your life? You got your own podcast you're running, you're speaking, you're probably doing coaching and consulting. You got this big, huge company you're running. I mean, tell me a bit about that. You got your personal life. You're, uh, do you still compete in uh, triathlons too? Yeah. So I've, I've, I've actually kind of put the, put the brakes on that a bit yeah, and haven't yeah. been, haven't been racing for the last uh, year or so. Yeah. But, um, and so I'm in a good place with that as far as just staying healthy, staying fit and continuing mm -hmm. to run it. But I find that it's best to schedule in my uh, crying in the fetal position time. So that I can... <laughs> That's no, awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I kind of joke about that, but yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I, you know, we, we, I think there's seasons in our lives where, yeah. you know, we, we experience that, that, you know, um, that, uh, that overwhelm and, and yeah. we just have to be conscious of it. I'm yeah. in one of those periods now where I am, you know, taking on a lot of stuff yeah. and it really is like the simple tools that, that I take into that are, are, um, are working on just bringing that overwhelm of everything that I have to achieve, like, oh, you know, all these big goals that we have and, and all of these things that I have to do and narrowing down to, to, you know, what are, what are the quarterly objectives that I want to achieve? You know, what are, right. what are the simple things that I want to get there? Right. What is, how does that turn into the weekly to-do list that I can get done this week? And what is, what are the three simple things that I can do today? And I try to be so disciplined about only three things today. That's really Only smart. three things. Yeah. yeah. Because otherwise it's like, oh yeah, yeah I'm going to write down every single to-do list item that I have for today. And yeah. I'm going to think I'm really organized, but I'm never going to get to all of them. And I'm always going to be disappointed in myself and I'm always going to be overwhelmed. Right. But three things, three significant things that I can do today. Yeah. That leaves me with a win. Even if I can't get to them all, I'm making one step of progress. Yeah. And that also leaves me the capacity to react to the things that I have to react to on a, on a daily basis, which are bound to happen in that organization. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful. Um, and then another, another tool is something that I've been terrible with throughout my life is, mm -hmm. is delegating mm -hmm. because I've always felt that, you know, the, that, that the best leaders dig in, that they are entrenched, that they're, mm -hmm. you know, that they're doing the same jobs as, as everybody else and making sure that they do that. But, Right. What I've discovered and, and what I'm trying to shift in, in our philosophy is that that's not the best use of a leader's time. Yes, the leader should lead, you know, from the front and mm -hmm. and make those courageous decisions. Mm -hmm. But immersing yourself into the day to day of everything that we're doing is mm -hmm. not productive and it's not helpful to the company. And it's it doesn't serve the people that are doing those those jobs. The best mm -hmm. thing that we can do is provide support and 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 uh, and delegate those things effectively to the people that know what they're doing and do it best mm -hmm. so that we can do what we do best and what we're, what we're, uh, uh, hired to do. Yeah. I love it. I, uh, as you say that I thought to myself, you know, when's the last time I thought, what are the three most important things for me to get done today? Yeah. And, uh, I'm just thinking what would happen if I did that daily, you know? I yeah. mean, maybe, maybe we'll build a nine figure company, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's awesome, man. Um, hey, listen, I want to talk to you about, um, uh, you, you went to the world championships in triathlon from what I understand. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Where did, where did this amazing athletic physical journey come into play in your life? Were, were you always an athlete? Was this, you know, after recovery? Tell me about this. Yeah, I was uh, so I, I grew up an athlete. I grew up okay. uh, uh, what I would call a professional 
um, a full size pizza eater on a daily basis. So okay. no, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I actually never grew up as an athlete. I, I, I think I, I was the second string bench warmer for a O and 10 baseball team in high school. That was my experience with, uh, with, with, yeah. with athletics Head, growing heading up to the MLB. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so not, not really a lot of experience there. Um, I, uh, but as part of my, you know, recovery, yeah. one of the things that I constantly heard within sobriety. So when I was 32 years old going into yeah. my 33rd year, yeah. um, in that first year of recovery, I, you know, I learned a lot about relationships with fear and all that kind of stuff. And I shifted my perspective on it in, to a significant degree. Thanks to those, uh, thanks to those rooms. Yeah. And this is part of that experience with embracing fear, because with a year yes. of sobriety, I'd been told all throughout that first year of recovery, don't make any major life changes your first year in sobriety, you know, mm -hmm. because you want sobriety to be that that mm -hmm. priority. Right. Mm -hmm. But because I'm that a type, you know, anxious overachiever type, I always looked at that and said, OK, well, once I hit a year, then I need to make a major life change because that's what they're telling me. So mm. when that year hit, I mm. I decided um, I decided I wanted to make a major life change with my physical health because I spent a year taking care of my mental and my psychological and my spiritual health, mm -hmm. but I neglected my physical health. I was still smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. I was still mm. eating like garbage and, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I just, I did, I knew that my physical health was suffering and I wanted to, I wanted to bring that piece together because I knew that would kind of round out, round out my life. Mm -hmm. And so I remembered a time when I was in the midst of my addiction, mm -hmm. when I saw the Ironman, Ironman world championship on television for the first time. Mm -hmm. And the first time I saw it again, I was in the midst of my addiction. I was so inspired by the people that I was seeing, like, you know, just swimming 2.4 miles, biking 112 miles and running a full marathon at the end. And I was just like, how are they doing that? That's, mm. that's not humanly possible. And then there was this like spark for an instant of, but wouldn't it be so cool if I could do something like that? Mm. And I don't know, folks, I mean, if people listening have ever had that experience, but mm -hmm. there's that moment where that spark of like, wouldn't that be cool? Mm -hmm. And then the very next second, a millisecond later, that fear shows up and says, no, sure. no, no, you can't do right. that. Yeah. That's not you. You're not an Iron Man. Right. You smoke a pack of cigarettes a day and all this kind of stuff. Right. Uh, why don't you go back to drinking beer and feeling sorry for yourself? And that's mm -hmm. what happened to me at that moment. Mm -hmm. But when I, w when I had that year of sobriety, you know, that, that, that vision kind of reemerged in my, in my life because, mm -hmm. and it reemerged when I had a more empowered mindset mm -hmm. because of this, everything that I learned in sobriety, I, I, instead of having this, you know, you're a piece of junk that isn't, that isn't amounting to anything and drinking and you're just trying to, you know, um, trying to maintain all day. You're this, you're this person that has just gotten a year sober. You have this point of reference to, uh, to doing something you never thought that you could do. And mm. you, you're looking at the world as like, what's next for me? Well, I'm so excited. Mm. Then that thought popped up again, where, you know, there comes the excitement again of mm. like, what if I could do something like that? Hmm. And then the fear popped up again because mm -hmm. it doesn't go away. Right. And it started telling me the same things it told me before, which were, you can't do that. You're not an athlete. You'll never be an Ironman. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. But then like, because I had this experience, I was able to ac actually get curious about it and say, yeah. is that true? Right. Or what, or what if I could do that? Right. And so I just started to research it. 
and I started to look at how, I mean, the first stupid question I, I typed into the internet was how do you sign up for the Ironman world championship, which I learned really quickly. You can't just sign up for the Ironman world championship. Right. Right. <laughs> you have to qualify and you have to be one of the best in the world. Right. So that became my dream. Wow. And I, I just, I had this dream without ever having swam, you know, any distance in the ocean without ever, without ever being riding a road bike before I had this yeah. vision of myself that was so yeah. powerful of me yeah. crossing the Ironman world championship finish line, just like they were on television. Yeah. And I'll tell you that vision drove me to yeah. take that first step to learn to float in the pool, to, yeah. to take those, those small 5% incremental steps toward getting to it so that four years later on national television, on the very show that, that was, uh, uh, that I was watching. Yeah. I finished the Ironman world championship because I wow, qualified man. a few years later. Yeah. Wow. So, or a few, uh, races, a uh, few months earlier. Sorry. Wow. That's an incredible story. You know, as you said that I, a lot of great things in there, I had this thought that came to me though, is that when you had that vision of, this is what I'm going to do. And it, it probably it wouldn't go away. You know, mm -hmm. I, I recognize in that moment that that's again, that, that kind of spiritual self, that, that essence of us, that true nature of who we are, the thought that dawned on me, I've never had this thought before, but I have to share it with you is that these visions that we get that are unique to us, right? Like for you, it was the Ironman. I don't have any desire for an Ironman, but for you, it was the Ironman. And in a way, it's that higher part of us that's guiding us to the new levels of life. You know, it's almost like yeah. the, a vision that's, gonna, that's going to require us to move into a, this new version of us. It's going to require us to become, you know, to shift some habits, to shift some thought patterns, to shift some things that we've been doing and thinking and feeling so that we can step into now. And it gives us a brand new reference point of, of who we can be. So, I, awesome story, man. Thank you. Really, yeah. really awesome story. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I want to keep chatting for hours and hours. Uh, I know, I know we've got some time. We do need to wrap up coming here shortly. Um, but, uh, but I want to, before we wrap up the show here, you host your own show called flow over fear. So mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about fear. Tell me about flow. Yeah. Yeah. So I believe that, you know, in, in just thinking through, my own fear mm -hmm. and how I've experienced fear and how I, how I see it show up in my world. Mm -hmm. I've really asked a lot of questions on, on, well, if, if, if fear is so uncomfortable, what is the opposite of fear? And, mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of people would think about the opposite of fear being fearlessness. That would right. be a natural thing. But when I think, when you think that through and you think about what fearlessness looks like, mm -hmm. um, you know, think of a think of a frat guy standing on the roof of a of a of a of a of a house about to jump into a pool, and um, and you know we would assume that person's fearless, but there's nothing more frightening than a person or something that is fearless because mm. there's so much danger in it, right? right? So fearlessness doesn't feel like it's the opposite of fear, and that just doesn't seem right. Okay. So when I think about that, I th I think that flow becomes the opposite of fear, and the reason is is because we don't necessarily because when, when fear, when the, the traditional way that we think of fear is, is something uncomfortable, something we don't want to feel, something we want to push away, something we fight against. Mm. But when we let go of that and then we start to look at fear in the face and we, and we start to name it and we start to build a relationship with it and then we finally embrace it, mm -hmm. what happens when we start to embrace fear and we ask the questions of it 
is we flow. We start to flow better. Mm-hmm. It's exactly like a, like a river. When you look at a river that's obstructed with with boulders and and fallen trees and things like that, it's rough. It's it's mm-hmm. it's going in all different directions. The flow is compromised. Mm. But when you remove all of those obstacles, it's flowing. Mm. And that's the way I look at fear versus flow. Flow mm. is not the absence of fear. Mm. It's just removing the obstacles that prevent us from being our best mm. and allowing us to 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 uh to experience life to a more elevated degree. Mm. It's beautiful, man. So okay. good. We could probably have we may have to do this another time an entire uh extra episode just on that. I'd love just, to. you know, how do we get in more of that state? What are we how do we use strategies and tools to achieve more of that? Because I think we all want more of that, you know, living from there. Um, mm-hmm. Man, I have loved today. Loved Thank you, man. our time together. It's been really fun. I was looking forward to it after we got to hang out the other day. Uh, and I knew it'd be good, but I didn't know it was going to be this good. This has been, oh, thanks, one, I'm not exaggerating when I say it. It's been one of my, I think we're coming up on our 100th episode right away. And it's been one of my all-time favorite episodes I've ever done. I appreciate so, that, Ben. Thank you so yeah. much. It's it's been a pleasure to meet you. I love talking about this stuff. I love what you're doing, and helping people improve their mindsets. and And you're doing such amazing work in the world. I'm thrilled that we're able to connect and and uh, and help each other together. Hundred percent, man. Hundred yeah. percent. On the note of connecting, uh, for people to connect more with you, where do you want them to find you? What's the best places? Tell me about that. Yeah, the best place is uh, my website, which is adamcliffordhill.com. That Clifford's my middle name. I know that's a, that's a fear that I got over was owning my middle name, which is, you know, terrible, but <laughs> so adamcliffordhill.com and, and there you'll find information about the show flow over fear, my speaking yeah. where I, I, uh, I, I actually, you know, have keynotes where I help people to, uh, turn that fear into flow and I use those actual mm. strategies. So, so yes. if you want to find me there, Instagram is the Adam C Hill and, um, and yeah, I look forward to connecting. Amazing, man. Amazing. Hey, today was so good. I'm excited to get this out to everybody. And listen, as you're watching, as you're listening, I know I say this on every episode, but I really mean it today too in a way that I know that either you were deeply impacted by this or there's somebody you know that's going to be deeply impacted by this. So make sure this episode does not go unshared send it to that person you're thinking of. They probably popped in your mind. You're thinking, man, so-and-so, they would love this. Share the episode with them. Tag Adam if you're sharing on social. Tag myself. Love having you here and looking forward to seeing you next time. Adam, thank you so much for the time. And I'm looking forward to our chats in the future. Definitely, Ben. Thank you so much.